There are a couple ways that you can get to Courtney if you're going by car. There might be more than a couple, but there's two general ways you can get to Courtney. One, you can take the new highway, the main highway that is back a little ways, and you can get there in a short period of time, and you just blast out of the uh, blast out of Parksville, and you make your way to Courtney. Or you can take the old island highway, and you can kind of meander your way to Courtney. And you can even stop along the way and have coffee or go into little bookshops or uh, little trinket shops, or you can stop for lunch along the way, and you can almost make a day of the trip to Courtney. It's kind of how I'm looking at the book of Peter, Second Peter. You can either get in the book of Second Peter and just read it, and you can actually read it in about five or six minutes. Or you can just take your time and take the long route and uh, meander through its words and its phrases and its sentences. And that's, in effect, what we are doing um, even today as we slow down a little bit more and explore our way through these words that Peter has written to these people. The main point of what Peter is trying to reinforce or reaffirm in their thinking is the truth of the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the parousia of Jesus Christ, the great day of the Lord. And that day is under attack. Belief in that day is under attack. And so Peter is um, wanting to bring together as much evidence, as much focus about that day as he can to reassure his people that that is the end of the church age, that at the end of the church age, uh, Christ will come again. The day of the Lord will happen and life as we know it in this age will end. And so he's reinforcing that now. He's he, 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 he built up to that in the first 15 verses of chapter 1, and he stated again his purpose, and now he is reinforcing that in a couple of ways. If you were with us last week, we talked about the transfiguration. Peter refers to that as an eyewitness account of the power and the coming of Christ, and we won't re- go over that other than to say that as Peter explained that experience and described what he saw, he did it in such a way as to say we had a preview of the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his face shine. We saw his clothes burst in glorious whiteness. We were there with the resurrected uh, Moses and Elijah. We heard the voice of God. It was a preview of that coming day of the Lord when Christ returns. Now he turns his attention to the prophetic word, which as we will see is a reference to the scriptures. And he say, not only did we witness this reality in the transfiguration of Christ, but the prophetic witness, the Old Testament scriptures, again and again and again, refer to a coming day of judgment, refer to the coming of the Son of Man. And you will do well, he says, to pay attention to the Old Testament scriptures on that. And then to reinforce that in verses 20 and 21, what he's going to do is he's going to talk about the nature and the origin of scripture which will reinforce why it is we can trust the Word of God because of what they are and where they came from. And that is what we are going to deal with next week. So Peter is just, he's taking a slow route to the second coming of Christ to reinforce to us its reality so we can put our confidence in it. So as we come to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we zero in on verse 19, he's just talked now about the transfiguration in verses 16 and 18. And now when we come to verse 19 there, um, we already have a challenge, and I'll just briefly mention it, let you work this out on your own. But when you come to verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed. Uh, Or we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
Now, if you were to go to read a bunch of translations, you would find that there's a little bit of confusion. Um, not confusion, uh, difference of opinion on how that phrase should be translated. And there are those versions that, uh, that refer to the prophetic word and the transfiguration as confirmatory realities, that the transfiguration confirms what the prophetic word speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, in other words, the apostles' um, witness or experiences verified Scripture. What they saw confirmed what the prophets have predicted through the Old Testament Scriptures. So, a translation that confirms that would say, well, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. We had the transfiguration, we saw it, but we also have the prophetic word, which also confirms the second coming of Christ. That's one way that you can understand those words. A second way, though, is that if you have some translations, one of them says, but we have something more sure. Or uh, the ESV says here, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, we had the transfiguration, but there is something more sure, and that is the prophetic word of God. Now, you can see there's a difference between those two. I have my opinion of which one it is and why it is that way. I particularly take the, the, the view that they are confirmatory witnesses, that what the apostles saw on the mountain, apostolic witness, an apostolic witness is on the same level as prophetic witness. And so we would, I understand that phrase then along the lines of we also have the prophetic message as completely reliable. And so what Peter is saying, that we witnessed a preview of the power and coming of Christ, but we also have the prophetic word, which also testifies and prophesies to the coming of Christ in power and glory. In other words, trust our testimony and trust the testimony of the prophets. This is not some cleverly devised tale. It's confirmed by what the prophets have spoken in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so what he wants is us to be certain in more ways than one of the power and the coming of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be assured in our hearts. He wants us to believe their testimony, and he wants us to believe the testimony of Scripture when it says there is a day of the Lord that is coming. And so as he deals with this, then he first explains to us just revelation. And by that we mean the Old Testament Scriptures. And we need to think about that just a little bit, is that God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed what he's going to do to us. That is what we mean when we talk about revelation. And so when you go to the Old Testament and that scripture, what that is, is it's the revelation of God. It is God who has spoken to us and made known things about himself and things about what is to come. When we come to verses 20 and 21, what Peter is going to do is he's going to remind us of the nature and the origin of that revelation. So that we don't think, well, it's just some great words of men, or it contains the thoughts and ideas of God. But Peter is going to say, no, when you trust or when you read the Old Testament scriptures, you are reading the very word of God. You are not reading man's ideas or things that were conjured up in the will of man. What you are reading is the very word of God. You hear the voice of God in the Old Testament. And so he's dealing with the practical realities of the Word of God in verse 19, and then he's dealing with the uh, origin and the nature of Scripture in verses 20 and 21. His point is a simple one, 
And it's one that we need to hear again and again as God's people. God has spoken. His words, these words contained in Scripture, are the very words of God. What the prophets wrote down and wrote for us are the words of God. He has spoken what about the word, uh, about the day of judgment. He has spoken about the fact that Christ is going to come back. And so what Peter is saying is, listen to him. And if you remember, why he's saying that is, is if you just read ahead to chapter 2, verse 1, which Pastor Andrew read, and there it says that there will arise among you, there will come out of the church those who deny that God has spoken with authority. They are false prophets, or they are false teachers. They conjure up words in their own minds. They try and put doubt in our heads about the word of God. It's like Satan did in the garden in the very first place. Has God really said? Did God really speak? And so Peter wants us to grasp that we are to believe this word, and we can trust it because it didn't come from men. It came from God. And so God has revealed himself to us. He has spoken to us. Just as a side, I don't know if you have worked this through in your head, but how do we know about God? If God didn't tell us about himself, we would have no way to know about him. And the Bible tells us at least three ways that God has revealed himself to us. I don't know if you think about them and you wonder about them. Uh, the first way that God has made himself known to us is what we call general revelation. It's in the world around us. Psalm 19 verse 1, for example, says, The heavens declare the glories of God. The day-to-day -day pour for, pours forth speech. If you go out and you walk around in the daytime and you look at the trees and you look at the oceans and you look at the animals, they pour out the reality that there is a God. And if you, if you were to go out at night and you were to look up the stars and you see the sky and the infinite number of stars, they speak forth the fact that there is a God. And then if you go to Romans chapter 1 and you read there about how, how God has revealed his um, characteristics in the world that he has created. I should probably read it exactly for you so we have it. Romans chapter 1 where he says there, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of his world. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that God has made himself known. He has revealed himself in the world he has made. But there's limitations to that. You won't know about man's sin in the world. You won't know about Christ in the world. You won't know about the character of God and his grace and his mercy and his holiness in the world. So therefore, we need special revelation. And by special revelation, what we mean is the word of God. And it's the special revelation of God that we need in order to hear about Christ and to put our faith and trust in Christ. It's in the special revelation that God tells us about human nature and about sin and about our human dilemma. It's the special revelation that has this incredible story. The plot line of the Bible is fairly simple. You have creation in Genesis 1 and 2. You have the fall in Genesis 3. And then you have all that God has done to bring about redemption in Genesis 4 to Revelation 19. And then in the last two chapters of the Bible, you have the story of restoration. 
And we know about that because God has given that to us in Scripture. He has revealed his identity, has revealed his character and his purposes, his wisdom, his ways for us, the things that we ought to know, the things that we need to know for life and godliness. And then there's a third way that God has revealed himself to us. And that is through what I call, I've never seen this in print, but it's just what I call, it could be there, is incarnational revelation. And that means that God came to earth in the person of Christ. For it says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians will tell us that in Christ, we see the fullness of deity in bodily form. And so we saw, we have a record of God walking amongst us. We know what he sounds like. We know, what, we know what's on his mind. We, we know his power. We know his grace. We know his mercy because he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, who is God, who came to this earth. And so Peter, though, is referring to special revelation. He says, the prophetic word, which is a way of saying the scriptures. And we understand that when he's writing, they would have said the Old Testament scriptures. And so in the Old Testament scriptures, we can find there references and what God wants us to know about the coming judgment, about the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. You can read that in Amos chapter 4, I believe it is, in Joel chapter 2, and in, in Daniel chapter 12. And we have all of these things referred to in scripture. And so I think what Peter is also saying is that in this word, in this word, we have no less than the same voice of God that Peter and James and John heard on the mountain when God spoke from heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought that through of us, thought that through before. That every single one of us here today, listening as we have read the word of God, has heard the voice of God. Do you believe that? How do we hear from God? Where do we hear the voice of God today? We hear it in the word. This is the word of the Lord. This is God speaking. God spoke. Loved ones, the surest way to have a powerful experience of God is to develop a deep understanding of his word. Because of what we read in the scriptures is we hear the voice of God. Do you, do you know that? Some people say, I've never heard God speak. If that's really true, then I would say to them, you've never read your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. I'm going to say a little bit more about that later. But when you come to the Word of God, we actually have the voice of God. We have the record of God speaking to us and communicating to us. And so Peter says in chapter 1 verse 19, we have the prophetic word of God confirmed. You would do well to pay attention to it. That's what I've been thinking about over the last little while again. You will do well to pay attention to the word of God. Why? Because it's the word of God. Why? Because it tells us about Jesus Christ and about the end of this age and about the coming of judgment. And so in verse 19, Peter tells us why we ought to pay attention to the word. And in verse 20, 20 and 21, he anticipates the question, well, is it a sure word? Can I trust it? And he says, yes, because it is the very word of God. 
So with that kind of an introduction, let's think about this phrase. We have the prophetic word of God confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever had somebody say to you, you would do well if you did so-and-so? What they're saying when they say that is that would be a good thing. That would be a really good choice for you to follow that. There will be a benefit to you if you follow that or do that. And so there is a benefit. There is a value. There is, there is something good that comes. You will do well to pay attention to the word. Just to think about pay attention for a moment. It means to focus. It means to give your time to. It means to be in a continuous state of readiness to learn. Uh, it, need, it needs to, what does it say about danger? What does it say about error? What does it say about truth? What does it say about this? What does it say? You would do well to pay attention to it, to be on the alert, to look out for what it's saying, to be on guard against people that deny it. You will do well to pay attention to the prophetic word. In other words, you would do well to listen to the words of the prophets. I, I would simply say that to you and I this morning, just as a blanket word of advice. You will do well if you would pay attention to the Word of God. As I was working this around in my head, I made my way back to a book that I actually still had the receipt in when I bought it, and I bought it on August 3rd, 2008. It's a book by J.I. Packer, um, The Truth and, or Truth and Power, The Place of Scripture, in the believer's life. And he spoke in there in one chapter, just an amazing chapter. He talked about exploring the Bible. I have another book actually on my shelf um, called Explore the Book. I really like that language because exploring takes us further than reading or studying. It's kind of like exploring is taking the old island highway from Parksville to Courtney, where reading is taking the new island highway from Parksville to Courtney. If you read, you can just plow through to the end. But if you explore, you stop and you investigate and you dig along the way. Exploring is what some of you do when you go geocaching. You have coordinates and you need to find your way to those particular coordinates and you explore a, a part of a forest or a part of a beach or, or some part of something. I don't geocache, but I know people that do. Exploring is what my grandkids do when we take them down to the beach. They don't just sit there and look. They dig up rocks and they turn them over and they see what's underneath and then they grab a stick and they look at the stick and they kick rocks and they look for shells and they look for glass. They explore the, the rocks on the beach. They, they look in tide pools. They dig their way around. Exploring is what some of you do when you get in your car with your trailer and you just don't really know where you're going, but you just take off and you want to say, well, I want to explore the north end of the island, or I want to explore the, the west end of the island, or I want to explore Palm Desert or whatever it might be. But you, 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 you go with the intention of, I want to dig around a little bit. I want to take this road wherever it leads to. It might be a dead end, but I don't care. I want to see what's on that road. Or as you walk down a particular street, I explore when I go hiking in the woods. I go off the trail, and I just, I just make my own path, and I, I explore, and I look around. And that's what we ought to do when we come to the Bible. 
We have to have this attitude of exploring the Word of God, of turning it over, of taking this turn, and of taking that path, and of thinking about this phrase, and of following through with Scripture references. One of the grids through which you can explore the Bible, and sometimes it helps to have grids when you explore the Bible, is simply to ask three questions of a phrase or a verse. What is this passage saying to me about God? What is this passage saying to me about the human condition? And what is this passage saying to me about life? And as you have those three questions in your mind when you come to Scripture, it will begin to explode Scripture as you study it. But back to Packer for a moment. I want to take a few more minutes and just it's something I read, as I say, back in 2008, and when I dusted it off, I thought, this, is, this has been true in my life, because I, I marked this chapter up like crazy when I first read the book. And what he offers is, is what he calls seven spectrum points about how I've, I've termed this, how we pay attention to the Bible, how we go about exploring the Bible. The first one is just to understand that the Bible is a library. Do you know that? We all have libraries. Most of us have at least three or four books, but the Bible is made up of 66 separate books. It's a collection of 66 books. They're fascinating books. Some of them are really short with one chapter. Others of them, like the book of Psalms, has 150 chapters. These are books on history. They're books on genealogies. They're, they're books on, on their love stories. They're, they're books on on kingdoms. There, there's books that tell us about Jesus. There are books on theology. There's books on philosophy. But their common purpose of all these books in this library of 66 books is to inform us about God and godliness and to draw us in one way or another into a responsive life of faith and hope and love. The 66 books of the Bible are all supernatural, and we'll look at this next week. And that though their production involves something like 40 human authors, the primary author of every single one of the books that we have is God. God moved, or the Holy Spirit moved in the minds of the authors so that they wrote down not their words, but the very words of God. So think about the Bible as a library. The second way you can think about the Bible is as a landscape. It's, a, it's an amazing landscape of human psychology. I was thinking this in my own morning reading as I read about Moses this morning and David and Hezekiah. And then as I went to the book of Revelation and, and I just was amazed as I was thinking about the different responses to God. The, Hezekiah responded to God who told him he, he was going to die. Moses responded to God when God said he was going to kill the people of Israel. Um, David responded to God as he was watching wicked people and seeing them prosper. But it's a book about human life. It's a book about human nature. We've studied Abraham. We've studied Joseph. We've looked at Esther. We've, we, we've looked at some of the people in the Gospels. And there we, we, we read about um, how people react and how God talks to them and, and, and how they should react and how they shouldn't react. It's a wonderful landscape of human psychology. I think it was Oswald Chambers. Um, some of you may have heard about the wisdom books, the wisdom books are five books of the Bible. Uh, 
The book of Psalms, if you read the book of Psalms, it will teach you to pray. If you read the books of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it will teach you how to live. If you read the book of Job, it will teach you how to suffer. Suffer. If you read the book of Song of Solomon, it will teach you how to love. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it will teach you how to enjoy life. The landscape of Scripture is breathtaking. Study the people in the Bible. Study Bible wisdom. And then you will learn more about serving and pleasing God. Pay attention to the written word. And then we can think of the Bible as a letter. I don't know if you ever think of it this way. A letter addressed to you personally by God. The God of heaven and earth. He has written to you. Think this through just a little bit. He's, he's written in general, but he's also written to you and I with specific purposes in mind. God has so designed Scripture that when we come to Scripture, have you ever thought, God is speaking to me? Sometimes as people have said to me after the end of the sermon, how did you know God spoke to me through you? Some of us have our names written down in our Bible, or, or we give a Bible and we write the name of our grandchildren or our child to it. We can tell them, this is God's word to you. It is a letter written specifically from God to each of us that put our trust in God, how we find our way in life. I like this one that R.C. or that Packer talked. It dates him a little bit. He says, think of Scripture as a listening post. And when he talks about listening posts, some of you who are older will maybe get it right away. What he's talking about is the world of espionage and spies. And, and sometimes people would listen in. They would bug a phone line or they would bug a, a room and they would listen in on the conversation and they would get information from that conversation. I thought of it kind of like, I like the phrase, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall and just hear what was said and, and what went on. Well, in the Bible, we get to be a fly on the wall as God deals with so many different situations. We get to hear how God speaks to people in this situation and in that situation. We get to eavesdrop on his conversations. We get to understand how he thinks. We get to understand how he responds. We get to, we get to hear how God would, would tell us to do uh, what to do in a certain situation. On hearing the specific things that God said to people in the Bible, we can learn what God would say to us today as we face similar situations. I was thinking this. In Psalms, we get to hear people pray. We get to listen in on their prayers. I was thinking that as I was reading Psalm 94 this morning. I was thinking, I'm listening to whoever wrote this prayer. Call out to God for help. As he faced wickedness and the reality of wicked people, I was listening to his conversation with God. And in listening to that, I was able to listen for myself and think, now how would I respond? And this is what God is pleased with, and this is how I should pray in a similar situation. When we read the scripture, we also think of it as a law. We, we need to do well to think of the scripture as a law. But Packer does something I, I, I'd never heard before put quite this way. He talks about the, the scriptural law being a Torah law. And by what he means there is that it is an affectionate instruction on behavior as from a father to his family, given in the expectation that his children will take to heart and faithfully obey their father's direction. Do you think of that when you read the law in the Bible? 
that this is our heavenly father, this is our creator, affectionately and carefully, knowing the best way for us to walk, communicating that to us, and saying, Paul, don't go here, go there. Paul, don't do this, do that. It is better for you. It will work out better for you. Your life will be so much better if you walk in the way that I've designed for you. Versus an authoritarian law or a law of the land in which you have a formidable set of requirements and restrictions that are put on you and placed on you by somebody in a remote bureaucracy or in a remote parliament somewhere who says, do this, you don't know them, they don't know you, they don't know the situation, you're just expected to obey them. It would really change the way that you relate to God and his law if you think, no, this is my father who loves me deeply, telling me what is best for my life because he knows best, as opposed to somebody who sits up there with some just edicts and throws them down and says, do this. You see, the, the law of the word of God is not do this, don't do that. But rather, it's become the, become the kind of person who doesn't do this, but does that. Sixthly, it's a lifeline. A lifeline to which a drowning person clings while being pulled ashore. Have you ever thought of the scripture as a lifeline? You know, we, we talk about uh, the period in which we live today, and I think we could almost say that people are drowning in hopelessness. They really have no hope. They don't have hope for tomorrow even, let alone weeks or months down the road. But the Bible is a forward-looking book. The Bible has prophecies and promises for us. We've already looked at that, how Peter says God has given us his many precious promises. And what do those promises do? They give us hope. It's the lifeline which God gives to us as he pulls us towards our eternal home. You will do well to pay attention to the scriptures. A library, a landscape, a letter, a listening post, a law, a lifeline. All that to get to the one Peter gives to us. You will do well to pay attention to Scripture as a light shining in a dark place. Why pay attention to the prophetic word? Because it is a light shining in a dark place. Psalm 119, verse 105, you probably know it by heart. Do you? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See in your mind's eye that picture and never get away from it. The word of God is a light and a lamp. You have to take a journey across open country and it's dark. Traveling in the dark across open country, rough country too, you're at great risk. The easiest thing in the world for you would to be to lose your way, to stumble or fall over some obstacle that in the dark you couldn't see and to do yourself serious harm. The likelihood of reaching your destination in the dark is small. However much you screw up your eyes and glare in the blackness, you're still unable to see the way to go. There is a path, you know that, but without a light, you can't hope to stay on it at all. You need a light. And God, in his mercy, puts one in your hand. You shine it in front of you. You can see the next bit of track, and so you, step by step, you know where to put your foot. You walk without stumbling. You follow the path. You move ahead towards your goal. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light 
unto my path. Notice where he says the light shines. It shines in a dark and gloomy place. I wonder if there's at least two references to that. First, that word dark. It's the only place in the Bible it's ever used, but it's used outside of the Bible. And it's an adjective that uh, more reflects the notion of gloomy or filthy or dismal or miserable. And what Peter is doing, at least I think on maybe two levels, he's saying, listen, the world is a gloomy, murky place. We might say the world is a swamp. Think of Princess Bride. Some of you may have seen the movie Princess Bride and what is the swamp that they have in Princess Bride where stuff is popping up all over the place and he's got to find his way through it. The only way to navigate the darkness of our world, the murkiness of our world, the swampiness of our world is with the light of the word of God. Telling us, go here, don't go there. This is the way, walk in it. Avoid that. Choose that. But I wonder if he's also saying that our heart is a dark and murky place. Jeremiah would tell us in a number of places that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? If you try and make your way by yourself, if you try and and make decisions based on your own heart, you're going to go wrong all the time. And I think in the general point that Peter is making is specifically this notion about the power and the coming of Jesus Christ is something that our world wants to hide. It wants to cover up. It wants to deny. We even want to do that because we don't like to think about judgment. We don't like to think that what's coming at the end of the world. We don't want to have our time on this earth interrupted. And so we suppress that. But the word of God shines light on that reality. It says, no, judgment is a good thing. No, there is coming a day when we will be made perfect. It's a wonderful thing. Do you believe that about the world? That it's a murky, dark place? Do you believe that about your heart? And then finally, how long do I need to keep this up? How long do I need to read the Word of God? How long do I need to pay attention to the Scriptures? Well, he says, he says, tells us, until the day dawns and until the morning star rises in your heart. He's saying something amazing there. First, he's saying that we need to follow the prophetic word of God. We need to believe it. We need to trust it. We need to use it as a light to lamp our feet until the day dawns. What day? Well, it's a day that Peter refers to in so many different ways in in, in chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's the coming of the Lord. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of, uh, of the Lord. It's the the day of eternity. It's that final day at the end of the age when Christ comes back and this world as we know it ends. Until that day comes, we need the word of God to guide us every step of the way. And then he says something even more staggering. Until the morning star rises in your heart. You know what that is, right? That's a reference to Christ. It's a reference uh, certainly probably taken from Numbers chapter 24, 17, when Balaam prophesies about Christ being the morning star that rises in the tribe of Judah. We talked about this in Jeremiah 31 that, that, that talks about the new covenant that's been uh, inaugurated but not consummated. When does the, the fullness of the new covenant come, the fullness of the word of God that is written in our heart happen? It happens when Jesus Christ comes again. Let me read one scripture. It's such an encouraging one from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
many of you would be familiar with this word. Um, if I can find it, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Do you believe that? We shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of eye. When? At the last trumpet. What does it say? The trumpet of the Lord will sound and Christ will descend from heaven. At the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable. What he's saying, and, 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 until that day, we need the prophetic word. Until that day is eclipsed by the living word, we need the prophetic word. Revelation 19 talks about Christ coming on the white horse, and what is he called? He is called the Word of God. See, on that day when the Lord comes in power, Christ will replace the perfect temporal revelation, this, the Word of God, with the perfect eternal revelation of himself. And we will no longer have this word or need this word because we will be fully known and we will know fully. That in itself is something to hope in. That in itself is something to set your sights on. So pay attention to the word of God until that day. Don't set aside your Bible. Don't put it on the, the bedside table. Don't shove it in a drawer. Have it open before you day after day. Pay attention to it. Because there is coming a great day when this perfect eternal or, in, or this perfect temporal word will be replaced by the perfect eternal word, the word of Christ. Oh, what an amazing word of hope this is to you and I. Pay attention to the word. Father, we thank you for just a couple minutes to reflect on this note of Peter to us. Father, I, I think sometimes we don't really realize the kind of treasure that we have in your word. I think some of us go through many months, years of our lives, even decades of our lives, wondering, wishing that you would speak to us, and yet you are speaking to us in your word if we would simply open it and listen to your voice. Father, we get ourselves into so much trouble because we don't follow your word. We don't know it. We don't heed it. We don't explore it. Oh, Father, what a gift it is to us. What a gift it is to your people. Would you encourage us this week as we read your word? Would it be like all of a sudden we say, oh, God, thank you for shining light on that decision. Thank you, God, for directing me this way and not that way. Thank you, God, for your word of consolation to my heart as I read it today. Thank you, God, for speaking to me. And Father, for any who are listening here today who don't know you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As they read your word or as they hear your word, would its truth stimulate them to say, I want to trust that. I want to put my hope in that. I believe what it says about me. I believe what it says about Christ. God, save me. And Father, may you yet deliver them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.